hope can bloom out of tough situations if we just look for it, let the Lord, allow the Lord to work through us because we've all got a story and we're all going through stuff or you're going to go through stuff. You know, if we just hold it like this and, and let the Lord take that stuff and use it for His glory, who knows how He's going to use you. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Till today, we are bringing you maybe one of the most joyful stories we've ever heard (laughs) from Leslie Presson and Fair Hope. She is a a gem. (laughs) I don't even know what to say. She's She's a day of sunshine. She she really is. I mean, just her delivery of her story, as soon as I started listening to it, I immediately had a smile on my face. The whole time. And we just thought it really was the perfect story to air the Wednesday before Easter of just this whole concept of hope blooming. I mean, how appropriate. It's spring and it is Resurrection Sunday this Sunday. So her story is, yes, a story about breast cancer, but it is so much more than that. It is a story about building your faith. Muscles. It is a story about allowing a tough situation to turn into a ministry. I cannot wait for you to hear it. So here's Leslie. My story, or a part of it, I'm going to carve out a little piece of the last 10 years of my life. And I hope it will bring you some encouragement and some hope. And I hope you can kind of follow around, follow with me if I don't bounce around too much. The last 10 years. So It starts out, we were living in Memphis, actually just outside of Memphis. We were living in Collierville, Tennessee. Life was good. Our son's just graduating from college. Our daughter was at Auburn. We were living our life together. Um, My husband worked in the pharmaceutical industry, had for years and years and years. I was running Three Dog Bakery. It was a dog bakery. Yes, if you don't know what that is, it's a franchise, and we had one. It's true. Looks like a human bakery, but it is for dogs. You walk in, there's cases. We did birthday cakes. We did all this stuff. It was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of work. But life was good, and we thought that we would just live there forever. In fact, I wanted to live there forever because my my son was soon to be engaged. Like I said, he just graduated from college. He was soon to be engaged, and I wanted to be that grandmother that the kids lived down the street, and I got to pick them up, and, you know, I was just, I was just a big part of their lives. Well, God had different plans, obviously. So October of that year of 12, my husband, like I said, was working for corporate America and he'd gone through several downsizings as you all know how that goes. And, but this one, they closed his division, totally shut it down. He, you know, as the, as the provider, um, freaked out a little bit. I, on the other hand, was, yay! I was so excited because he'd wanted to get out of that industry. We'd been praying about it. He wanted to get out of it. He wanted to own his own business. So the bakery was just stepping our toes in a little bit, you know, to see if that's what we wanted to do for another business. So I was excited. Well, he did not share in that thrilling excitement. So there's the difference in our personalities. You can just tell right there. But anyway, he met men all over Memphis, businessmen, bankers, and uh, was meeting people, networking, praying about. We both were praying together about the next step. What's this going to look like? We had a great severance, so we were able to take it slow and look at what we might want to do. Okay, so now we go to January. That was October. So January, every January, we go on a marriage retreat, just the two of us. And it's an intentional time where we spend praying over our marriage, our family, our kids, finances. We, you know, look at 
goals for the next year, that sort of thing. Well, since we didn't really want to spend too much money, we thought, where can we drive? And we have Marriott points. So, the Grand! Yay! So, we come to the Grand Hotel, and who doesn't love that? But we'd never been here before. We went to the beach a lot, but we'd never been to Fairhope. So, we came here, and it was 65 degrees in January. Gorgeous. We rode bikes all over town. Yeah, you're hearing it now. So, um, <laughs> on our way home, we're, we're still, I mean, that was just a fun vacation. So, we left to go home, and my husband said, you know, we're not moving, but if we ever had to, this would sure be a cool place to live. Oh, it would, but we're not moving. You know, we're not moving. This is really, I hope you can follow me here, because this is so interesting and so only God. So, the next day, he goes to meet his business broker. And that broker says, we're not finding anything for you in Memphis that you're wanting. Nothing's matching up to what you want. But there's this great little business down in Daphne, Alabama, and we really think you should consider it. Well, we're not moving. So, you know, thank you anyway, but that's so weird. We were just there. So he comes home and tells me that, you know, and yeah, that that is pretty weird. The next day he goes to the second business broker, and that business broker tells him the same thing. And he came home and he was like, oh no, <laughs> you know, something's going on. Something's going on. Uh, well, within the next 48 hours, this is a really neat story too, and I won't go into this. The contacts that he made that were directly related to that business, it was just crazy. It was just God moving us. So at that point, we thought, well, we're not going to move, but we, we can maybe uh, manage it from here, so let's just go check it out. We came down, and it was Mardi Gras, and it was really fun. We'd never experienced that. It was just a really fun time. So I was thinking, okay, you know, this is a cool place, but I don't know. I had the house that I always wanted. I had the pool. That's the thing I agonize over is that pool. I miss my pool. <laughs> and I, just being real, but I remember walking around that pool, We'd come home from that second visit, and I was walking around that pool, and he called, and he said, you know, it's just really looking good. The numbers are looking good, and I remember right then going, going, okay, Lord, you're moving us, aren't you? You're going to move us. Well, but I'm not moving till after the wedding, and it's in August, so there you go. <laughs> well, anyway, that was February, and we had moved to Fairhope in April. So we weren't selling the house until after the wedding. We approached our realtor, and he said, oh, houses, this is not a good time to sell a house. You know, well, it's okay. We, we're doing it. And he said, but, you know, some are in foreclosure. And I remember looking at him in the face, and I said, if God is moving us, then he's going to sell our house. And he was kind of stunned and looked at me, and it sold in two weeks. So it was like, okay, Lord, you really are moving us out of here. So then there's the issue of the bakery, the dog bakery. You know, we got to do something with that because I ran it. Well, one of our employees bought it. And so that was just smooth. Everything went really, really well with that. We had great peace about this. We weren't going to move. And two months later, we're here and we have peace. So that is only of the Lord, right? That is nothing of us. Well, before we moved, I just prayed, Lord, if please just give me a friend. I have to have a friend. I'm a people person. I want a friend. And he did. The next day after we moved in, oh, and I got to tell you where we moved. He gave me a friend. Her name was Lee. And uh, we met a mutual friend connected us. She'd been here a year and we did become like 
fast friends like sisters. And we remain that way today, even though she moved to Birmingham. But I won't hold it against her. She moved back. But but through Lee, then I got to meet her friends, dear friends. And then we got to have wonderful uh, community Bible study group of godly women that just got to do life with. And and that was wonderful. And um, we had a wonderful church and neighbors. I mean, we really, really felt like God was blessing this act of obedience was the only thing we could think of. You know, okay, Lord, we're going to follow you. But I got to tell you where we moved first. I remember we're not selling the house till after the wedding. So we kind of had to watch what we were spending. So we rented a one-bedroom love shack, and that's what we called it. <laughs> and it, y'all know exactly where it is. It's at the top of Fairhope Avenue, right above the pier. You know, and it's those condos right there, the, the white ones. That was our one-bedroom love shack, and we loved it. And I remember sitting out and watching sailboats and just going, I can't believe I get to live here. I can't believe I get to live here. So I left my big house in my pool that I didn't want to leave, and I'm living in a one-bedroom love shack with my two dogs and my husband and loving life. And I just felt like it was a year of restoration. I didn't realize how stressed I was with that. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful time. So that was wonderful. So now we go on, and my husband likes buying one business, so why not buy more? So he buys one in New Orleans, and then he gets a Biloxi, and then one in Birmingham. But at that time, it was those. Well, it was going well for a couple of years, and then we had a theft. And we had a huge theft in New Orleans that nearly took us under, the whole business under. And I saw my strong husband, who I always felt was in charge of situations, and I felt like he had a good business mind, and all that. I, I watched him just crumble. It was overwhelming, and he was having panic attacks and anxiety, debilitating anxiety that I'd never seen him have. So I was scared. It scared me. Okay, Lord, you brought us down here. Now, what's up with this, you know? So I started just praying scripture over him. I would read scripture, pray. We would pray together. And there were days, I remember two different days that he could not get out of bed. But I was praying for him. You know, I was on my knees praying for him. I was begging, begging for help for him. And in that time, we really saw our faith muscles strengthen. I saw my faith muscles strengthen because I'm speaking truth to him. So my faith muscles are strengthening and his are too. And we got to watch God provide y'all financially. There were two different times where we didn't know if we were going to be able to make payroll. And we employed quite a few people. And these families were depending on us. And it was the day before payroll goes out the next day. There's, There's not money there. And, okay, Lord, we are surrendering, you know, it's up to you. If, if we make payroll, it's all you. Two different times on the day payroll was due, it came down to the penny and we made payroll. That's only God. And through that, again, God was strengthening our faith muscles. That's, that's just what happened. Thank goodness and thank you, God, that that is what happened. Because I think you can go either way. You know, you can run to God or run the other way. And it has to be a conscious choice. I'm running to the Father. So now we fast forward to 2019. My word for the year was celebrate. God gave me this word and I felt like it was to celebrate people big, birthdays big, celebrate Christmas big, holidays 
friends celebrate weddings. We had a ton of weddings. Our daughter was in that age, you know. People were graduating from college and getting married. So we were going, I don't know, 100 weddings one summer, it felt like. But I wanted to celebrate big. So the next month, we find out that our daughter in Atlanta and her husband are expecting their first baby. So, hey, we get to celebrate. That was exciting. Then we find out that our son and his wife, who live in Memphis, they had two little boys, two littles. They were adopting our granddaughter from India, and she was going to get to come home that year, too. And she would be two when she came home. Lots to celebrate. So we spent that year baby showers and just all the excitement and celebration celebrating all the million weddings that we did. So now we get to September of that year. I go down, I go to Memphis to keep the two littles. See, I did get to be a grandma and do that, didn't I? Yeah, I did. (laughs) So I get to go keep the two littles and they take, they're gone for two weeks to India. And the very first night that I was there, I found a lump under my left breast. That felt weird. I don't think that's supposed to be there. It's not on the other side. The next day, it's still there. I probably bruised myself checking, you know how you do, and checking and checking, and it was still there. Well, I wasn't going to be home for a long time because this was the begin. This was the first of September. Anna Rowe was not coming. That's her name. Anna Rowe was coming home from India to us. She came home on 9-11, which was my husband and his sister's birthday. Not his twin sister. They're 11 years apart. So we have redeemed 9-11, y'all. It's good. It's good. <laughs> So she was coming home then, you know, I knew I, I couldn't go to the doctor. I could not call. I mean, what was there, what were they going to do? So I was on my way then after that to Atlanta to baby showers, then coming back. And I had a couple other responsibilities. Then it was baby time in Atlanta and then stay there for two weeks. So it was in the back of my head. I know this, this lump is there. There is not a doggone thing I can do about this lump. Lord, you're just going to have to help me here because I don't, I can't do anything. Well, this is so cool. And again, this is just God's timing is perfect. I had my annual mammogram was already scheduled for a year. It had been scheduled the end of October. So when I got home from my daughter's house with the baby, that next Monday is when I had my mammogram. It was already scheduled. And that was just a blessing to me. I was so happy about that. So of course, I go into the mammogram and they see this lump. They send me to a diagnostic mammogram which I figured that all would happen. And the doctor comes in and he says, I'm really concerned. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing something in the lymph nodes I'm not happy about. You're going, I want you to have a biopsy. And sure thing. So we do the biopsy the next week and they told me it wouldn't hurt. They lied. (laughs) And so I think because it was in, um, because they take it under the breast, but underneath the arm and all down, they had to biopsy that area. Well, right after the biopsy, we headed for a four-hour trip to a wedding. One of those weddings. It was my daughter. She was in the wedding. And, but anyway, I was in pain and I was iced up. And I remember I I didn't want to go to that wedding. You know, I, I didn't want to do any of that. My mind was just numb. But I went, and my daughter and her new baby and husband were going to be there, so we were going to go. So we got there. I cried all the way. It was just pretty awful. It was really, I journaled, and I look back on that, and that was the worst Worst weekend of my entire life, period, bar none. So we we get there. We don't go to the wedding. I can't go to the wedding, but we walk over to the reception, and I look at pictures. I'm oh, my goodness. Why did I even go? (laughs) That poor couple was probably like, would you please leave here? (laughs) But anyway, so now I had the biopsy, and that weekend, 
my mind just went to all the scary places. Some of you may have walked this journey, you know, or you know someone close that has, but you go to all those scary places and all the what ifs. And really, both my husband and I grieved that weekend. Even though we didn't have results, which wouldn't come for two weeks, we really grieved. It, we mourned and it was just, it was just awful. The waiting for two, we thought it was only going to take less than a week to get results back. It ended up taking two weeks. So I don't know if we just misunderstood or what, but it was hard. And I was frustrated. I was probably mad, you know, I wanted to know right now. But um, y'all, God, and y'all know this too, God's in the waiting. He was in the waiting. And it was almost a challenge to myself. You know, I said, if I believe what I say I believe, and I preach to my husband, then I've got to trust him, right? I have to believe this, and I will. I choose to trust him. I had been praying verses over my husband, and now I'm repeating them back to myself. (laughs) That's no accident. And I will never leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate you from my love. Those were just resonating in my mind, you know. I'd been grounded in Scripture. I'd been in Bible study. So it was right there. So that's an encouragement to you all to do that. Um, My husband then, it turned, things flipped, and he became that strong man of faith, which he was anyway. His faith was strong. He just suffered from anxiety for a while. And he was the, the, I can't imagine a better caregiver. He was wonderful, but he prayed for me. He prayed over me. He prayed when I couldn't pray. He was there with me all the way. And so it was so neat to see how God shifted that, that his faith muscles were so strengthened, then he could walk on my walk. And he'll say to anybody, he'll say, I went through my experience so I could help her through hers. And I think that's so sweet of him. So we get the call and results are in. And so I go to the doctor and sitting there, I'll never forget, he walks in with his nurse. He tenderly walks over to me, puts his arm around me and says, it's breast cancer. And I said, I know. And he goes, how do you know? <laughs> I was just like, I don't know, but I just know. And then the rest of the appointment, I took notes. I had a notebook and my husband had a notebook. We took it everywhere we went. But to this day, I can't remember anything about that appointment. I was numb. Um, but that is something. If you ever go to the doctor, take a notebook because you're not going to remember those kind of things. So we went home. We called our family and friends. Some of you all got that call and we told them we wanted them to pray. Everybody processes this kind of thing differently. Some people keep it real close to themselves and don't want to share. I found my husband really liked to share, but I was okay with that. We agreed on that. So he was telling everybody, pray, pray. And we did. We kind of, it was out there. So we went home. Now, what do you do? What do you do? We're still waiting to go to the oncologist the next day to get the treatment plan. Well, that was a, that was rough night because that's when we really and truly, I said we grew, grieved that time before and we did, but now we had information. We knew what it was. The concern really, it was, it was estrogen and progesterone driven, which is not an unusual breast cancer. I didn't need to have any trials, but it was in my lymph nodes. So that was more of the concern because the lymph, you don't want it to get in your lymphatic system because that's kind of a door that can open up to the rest of your body. So that was the part that was a little concerning. And I kept hearing them say, you know, we're going to hit this aggressively because it's aggressive. We're going to hit this aggressively. Let's go. But that night is when I grieved everything. I grieved I might die because I didn't know, right? We don't know. I might die. My grandkids may grow up and not know me. My husband might be left alone. I grieved having to go through the treatment and be sick. 
I just didn't want to do it. I think I got mad. I think I was mad about that. I think I did tell God that, you know. I just, I didn't know. I just didn't want to do it. I was mad about that one. I grieved the possibility of losing my breasts. You know, I'd go by the mirror and lose it because I'm like, should I be taking pictures of myself just to make sure I remember? I can't have that on my phone. What do I do about that, you know? But those thoughts were, I was like, I don't want to forget what I look like. Not that it's anything, but still, it's me. I grieved the loss of hair because I knew it was coming. I mean, it was. And I grieved what life, I thought life was supposed to be. Just like I did back in Memphis and I thought this is what I thought my life would look like. You know what? I never asked God why. I never, I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't say, why are are you doing this to me? I would ask him, what? Like, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to learn from this? How can I use this? But I don't know why I never went to why. I just, I really trusted God for past events that he had been faithful. He had never not been faithful. I knew his ways were higher than my ways. And I know that he's sovereign in everything. And everything in my life, everything in our lives is sifted through his hands. So it wasn't a surprise to him, but it was still hard. I had been called at this time into another leadership role in community Bible study, and it was a shepherding role over like a region or something. And I remember thinking, well, why not me, God? Because now there's a bigger platform to show Jesus. Now, please hear me when I say I did not want to do this. I didn't like the journey. It wasn't fun. I don't want to do it again. But I wouldn't change what I learned on the journey and what I learned about God and his character and um, who he is to me. The intimacy now wouldn't change that for anything. So I finally make it to the oncologist and Reese Jones. Many of y'all know him. I love him, love him to death. Dr. Reese Jones was my oncologist and he made gave me the treatment plan and it was 16 weeks of chemo, a surgery, and then radiation every day for a month at the end of that. So I have a port inserted. So if you had a port, some of y'all may know about this, but um, so I, it's like an outpatient surgery. They put the port in and they sew it up so they can always just put uh, your chemo through there so you don't have to have an IV all the time and it's just easier so anyway I had that done then I went directly to my first chemo the next day which was great and I woke up I woke up that morning of the first chemo to the song uh, turned on the radio and it was good good father and so that just set the stage for the day and I was like you are a good father you are a good father and all went well. I had the Red Devil. So if you all have heard of that and know of that chemo drug, that one's a rough one. And, and it was rough. So I had it for two months. And it just did me in. It, it really did. It was rough. I had nausea. Um, even though they give you things for nausea, it's, it's still in there. <laughs> I had this pit in my stomach. Never went away. I had bone pain, headaches, the messed up sleep stuff, sores in my mouth, all up and down my arms, on my feet, blisters underneath my feet that made it hard to walk. My eyes watered continually. It was just crazy. It was a hot mess. It was awful. And then the hair loss. So let me go back to that hair loss because this is kind of a, I don't know if it's going to be a funny story or not, but uh, the shaver of the hair is here. Terry. So, so it was on the 13th day and that's about typical of when I woke up and there's a clump of hair on my pillow. Now, like I said, I grieved all of that in the beginning. That's just the way I did it. You may do it differently. I just grieved it all at the beginning. So it was work. Now I was into the work mode, you know, just working to get well. So there was hair on my pillow. Yep. It's got to come out. I'm not walking around with 
that or anything, you know, it's got to come out. So my daughter was coming the next day and I thought, well, she, she wanted to be a part of that. So I thought it's time to shave it. Well, on the Enneagram scale, I'm a seven. Any other sevens in here? If you know what that is. Okay. And my daughter's a seven. So she thought it'd be nice to make this kind of like a party. I was all about it because I had already mourned it. And I said, this could be really fun, Terry. Terry and Lee came over and I said, here's this razor. You know you've always wanted to play beauty shop. Have at it. I thought, this is going to be, I'm going to crack up looking at the different things they do. Well, I kind of did until the last little bit. And then I had to close my eyes when they slipped that last little buzzer thing. You know, I I couldn't look. But later I found out that they were mortified. It wasn't a part. They were horrified that it really was. It was terrible. My daughter cried all the way to the store getting the party stuff and then she cried all night and I and I never really I didn't think that way because I'd already mourned it and you know your story is your story but it affected my whole circle it was affecting my my children my husband my friends my circle of friends I mean it affects them so anyway I it, it was it's funny but not funny but sitting here looking at Terry I had to share that but I remember walking by the mirror one day looking at that beautiful bald head. I look like a grandpa, and that's what my grandkids called me. I have these little black little black round glasses right here, and um, we had a grandpa name for me, and it was hilarious, really. It really was. But I, I walked by one day, and oh, she looked so pitiful. You know, I just looked sick and uh, didn't have hair, and I just, God gave me this, that he is a God who sees he sees that. He knows. He loves me. He sees me. And then it also, he brought to mind that, you know, I thought, this is kind of humiliating to go out like this. I like to wear hats. The wigs were hot, so I would wear hats a lot. But I thought, Jesus was humiliated. He was on the cross. He was stripped in front, you know, the Son of God. God Himself is stripped on this cross and He was humiliated. So, I mean, that didn't even compare to Him, but He knows what it's like. And that was a huge, huge comfort to me. I journaled all through this this treatment time, and I read also around this same time, I, I journaled, today I choose joy. Not because I feel like it, because I do not, but it's a choice, and today I choose joy. And I would go to bed at night, and I would start saying things that I was grateful for, um, because it helped. You know, a grateful a grateful attitude just helps things. So I started seeing the blessings in the journey. And the first blessing, this is so cool. Whoever thought you'd get a blessing from an infection, but I did. So after I had that port put in, the next, I had my first chemo, and then I would rest, my body would rest a little bit, and then I'd go in the next week and get chemo. Well, had the port with that first chemo, and then it got infected. Oh, I was so frustrated. Sent the doctor and the uh, nurse practitioner a picture, and they were like, ooh, that doesn't look good. You know, you're probably not going to have your next chemo. What do you mean not have my next chemo? I'm on a schedule. I have things to do. I don't have time for this. I've got a schedule. My family's coming for Christmas, and we're going to the beach after this is all over. We've already booked it, so we got to get this going. Well, I got sick with chemo after. I mean, with each one, I got a little bit sicker. So I didn't get to have the second chemo 
It was Christmas. I felt good for Christmas. I didn't really realize what God was doing there, but it was a huge blessing. I got to play with the kids. I, they, everybody was healthy that came, so I got to be around them. I got to celebrate. Let's go back to the beginning of the year with my word. So I was celebrating the birth of my Savior. I celebrated it big time that year. I was so thankful for Him. I got to celebrate two new granddaughters. I got to celebrate modern medicine that was able to help me. You know, so... It was just a huge celebration, end-of-year celebration. So I was very, very thankful for that blessing in an infection. Another blessing that I learned was learning how to receive. Um, I'd much rather be on the helping somebody in than receiving it. But I received the meals. I received the gifts, and I received the flowers. I'm so thankful for them. So many flowers, so many flowers. So as chemo progressed, though, I felt weaker and weaker and sicker and sicker, but I felt so much closer to the Lord. And that was another uh, blessing was just that intimacy with the Lord. And if you've ever gone through, you know, something, you know, nights are just the hardest. It doesn't matter. Nights are just the hardest. And they were for me. Sometimes I couldn't sleep or I would just wake up and, um, tried to do, you know, the be thankful, but sometimes, I mean, it just stunk, you know, it just, you didn't feel good, or you just couldn't sleep, and I'd just cry out to God, and one night, he gave me this image, um, a vision, if you will, but I feel like he just kind of pulled back the veil a little bit, and this vision was in black and white, now, I truly believe it was in black and white, because I do not think that my mind could comprehend the beauty of, or behold the glory of God like that. I don't. So, um, this was a black and white image and it was in God, of God in front of me. I didn't see God. It was an image that I knew to be God. And as far as I could see, it was a horseshoe. As far as I could see, like this around me, angel warriors. It was like angel army. And I was so taken back because I knew God was telling me, I'm the God of angel army. And I'm fighting for you. And I knew he was fighting for me because I couldn't fight in my own strength. I didn't have any strength. I'll never forget that. And for a while, I didn't even tell anybody because it was just that intimate thing between me and the Lord that I just, it's kind of like, you know, when you have a baby, you know, you're, you're nine months and you want to have your baby, but there, when you have that baby, you got to pass it around, you know? And so if you can keep it right here, it's just kind of neat that, oh, but you've got a new mom here. You know, you know, it's just your time with that baby. It's kind of the way that I felt with the Lord. At some point I need to share this, but just a little bit longer, you know? So that was a huge encouragement to, to me. And I would also wake up with scripture on my mind in the morning. And that was really, it was fun. Sometimes I would think, okay, you're sending angels to minister to me because this is a new one and this is so fun. But one that I would wake up often with that I love is in Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, oh and every morning, I would just say, okay, Lord, this is yours. This is your day. So I learned to trust God in His the characteristics of God and not in my circumstances. Moving along, we get into February now, and I start running a fever, and it lasted for two months. 
So you know how you feel when you have the flu. That's the way I felt for two months. And it was not good. It, I really, they, it, there was nothing there. It was like a chemo fever. There was nothing they could figure out. So, so those two months, if you were my friend or family and you texted me and asked how I was doing, what did you get? The poop emoji, probably. <laughs> that became, that became, you know, right there was the first one. And, and you probably knew it was just a bad day. You know, it was just, I can't talk. It's a bad day because I slept most of the time. So we come to March 16th. And that night, I just quit. I told my husband, I, I can't do this anymore. I mean, I, I was just so sick. And I meant when I meant quit, I meant I just got to go to surgery. We just got to go. Can't do this chemo thing anymore. Well, that was the 15th, the 16th. <laughs> I feel like such a goober. So on March 17th, it's chemo day. And what's March 17th? St. Patrick's Day. So when I went to chemo, I tried to look decent. For myself, it was my one day out. You know, I tried to look decent for myself or um, uncomfortable when you're sitting there. Well, that day I decided I'd dress up in all kinds of stupid St. Patrick's Day garb. I got a green hat from the Dollar Tree and all this green garb. Now, remember, I quit the night before, but I'm putting this stuff on. So I'm putting on this garb because I always felt like I was to be ministering when I went in there. I felt like that was my role, you know, uh, for somebody else. Well, maybe I'll bring somebody a smile. Well, I walked in there and quickly went, what in the world am I doing? Um, I, you know, I feel terrible. I got in that chair. The nurse came over and immediately I lost it. I quit. I quit. I can't do this anymore. So she went and got Dr. Jones and he came out and had to encourage me. I said, I just got to go to surgery. Well, you know, we can't go yet. And I was like, yes, we can. Um, anyway, I did not. I hung in there, and they were able to give me something that treated my symptoms that did make me feel better. We were able to get me feeling better. So the next week um, was my birthday, and I had chemo on my birthday. And it kind of, I know at first you go, oh, but I was so excited because I thought, I'm getting this, I, I, another step toward healing so I can have many, many more birthdays. And I just kept thinking that. So my small group of ladies, it was so much fun. They had a party outside my window. And they had uh, signs. And it was just a lot of fun. As fun as it can be when you get chemo. But it really, it made me feel special. So I, I went on ahead and finished all that. But I wasn't able to finish the last two chemos because he said, your bone marrow's beaten up. I couldn't do anymore. I, I was done. So then, um, oh, I forgot to tell you, COVID just hit. So I did go into my last two, my last, I'm not telling you all this, by the way, to feel like, oh, poor pitiful me. I'm really not. I, I'm reminding myself and telling you this to always say what God has pulled me out of. So it's always that. So I want you to hear that, okay? So anyway, I did have a few more during COVID. So my husband had always been there with me doing this. And now they said, no, you have to come by yourself. Okay, what, is, what does that look like? He ices my feet for so many, you know, 40 minutes. He was icing my hands. We were doing all the, he, we had a routine. Well, he has to come. Well, I'm sorry, he can't. And I, I was a nervous wreck. And I'm not a nervous person and I'm not a worrier kind of person. I really stood over that. What's it going to be going in there? Well, I was one of a few of other lonely people. We were all in there alone. The nurses were fantastic and took care of us. But I walked in that day. And I remember going, okay, Lord. And it was just like, I'm holding his hand, you know, here we go. And I wasn't alone. You know, it, it was him. I mean, I had to, it was, he was now my best friend, that person in the night that I always cried to. So here, we're going together. And we did. That's just the way I had to look at it. So anyway, we did that and we made it through the whole COVID bit with that. Now it's time for surgery. So that's 
six weeks later or something like that. Still COVID, remember? So my husband, my wonderful husband, um, drops me off at the front door, kisses me. I love you. Bye. <laughs> you know, I feel like it's the first day of a terrible school that I'm going to go to. <laughs> And so I walk in the hospital. I did the same thing. I remember, okay, okay, Lord, here we go. You know, here we go. So I wasn't alone, but I remember saying, okay, who can we minister to? Well, there was a little man in the surgery waiting room with me. So I got to pray with him, and he was really scared. And lots of scared people. I mean, you're going in there, and I was really concerned the nurses were going to have too many people and weren't going to be attentive. You know, I, I just, that was a concern. They were lovely. It was at Thomas. I had chosen to have everything here. Um, I got second, third opinions. Everything was good here. My surgeon was fantastic, and God had just moved her here. So that was a whole neat God story in itself. But anyway, um, everything went well in the surgery. It, I mean, it went well. I was supposed to have tubes for a week. It, they were in there for three weeks, so that was kind of crappy. But <laughs> it went well. That's what it was. So then a, a month after that recovery, then I had a month of going every day to radiation, and um, which was easy. I didn't have any trouble with skin, so I really did well with that. So I'm thankful for that. It was just very interesting because, you know, you're just exposed. I felt like half the Eastern Shore had seen me, you know, and all these people coming in, and I started thinking about that. How many places have I been in and exposed myself? <laughs> I thought, how? Many because there were men everywhere, you know, and I mean they had to come and check, and um, that was a little bit hard, honestly. There were times that I was just like, "This is this is just not right. This is just not the way it's supposed to be," you know. Um, so anyway, I finished. I finished that. I was thankful. I rang the bell, and they said, uh, "Now go live your life." I don't know how, you know, you've done that. It's been almost a year. How do you go live your life? And then, um, aren't you supposed to? come over and check me today, you know, and it's like, I'll go every three months unless there's an issue, but man, I really wanted somebody talking to me every day, checking on me. That was really bizarre. So, I'm finishing up here now, uh, this part of the story, which brings me um, to the hope part, but I journal, like I said, I journaled through this journey, and uh, I have to go back and read it occasionally because I forget. I really do. And I know some other journaler, journalers in here too. And I'm sure you all that do that because it's, it's wonderful to go back and look how God provided and how God answered that prayer specifically and to see what he brought me out of. So I was reading journal and I was just praying, Lord, so now what do I do with this? What do you want me to do with this? Um, I don't want to waste this journey. So what do you want me to do? And I kept reading in my journal about flowers and it would kind of pop up, you know, I got flowers from so-and-so or flowers were left on my, my front, at my front door. I had, I didn't mention this to you all, but I had flowers on my bar, my kitchen island the entire time of my, excuse me, treatment period. Now, it wasn't every day that they came, but it was at least a couple times a week and sometimes every day. I wouldn't know who some were from. Some would just be from friends. They cut them out of their yard and put them in vases. Um, others, they were from a florist, you know, but I always had flowers. And they brought me such joy. I could look at them and think, I'm, I'm not just alone. Somebody's thinking of me, you know, and it just made me feel like, yeah, oh, 
thinking of me? I'm not just doing this by myself. So it really, it was precious. So I thought, okay, do I do something with flowers, Lord? I don't know. I don't, I have flowers. I love to work in flowers in my yard, but I don't know. Arrange? I mean, I don't know. What does this look like? Well, he would not leave me alone. And I would go to bed at night and it kept coming up. You're going to do something with flowers. What? And then I knew that Memphis had just started something with repurposing flowers called 901 Pop. And so I thought, oh, I wonder. Hmm. My daughter had just gotten married a, a couple years actually three years before that. So I thought, let me, I'm going to call the florist and just see what they do with flowers after weddings. I said, nothing. We just throw them away. We would love for somebody to repurpose these flowers. Hmm. I wonder what that would look like. So then I call the wedding planner that we use. What, what do you think about this? Oh, I love that idea. I think, oh, we need that. Well, you know, they just don't have time and energy after a wedding to do that kind of thing. So the wheels were turning and, um, a friend that I had met through this journey, her daughter had had breast cancer. Her name's Dorothy. And her daughter had breast cancer right out of college. And she was doing great then. But they would reached out to me and we'd become friends um, through my journey. And so I reached out to her and I said, well, what do you think of this? She was like, oh, I love this idea. I love this. So we got together and we talked about it. God had already given me the logo. And I had this in my brain, but it was like, I, I didn't want to share that because I didn't want anybody to change it because that's what it was going to be. <laughs> no. And then he also, I was looking, you know, praying about names and what do we call this? And Hope Blooms just came. That's what he gave me. So it was like, okay, Hope Blooms. Now I've got this image. Now we need to talk about it. So... Dorothy asked some friends. I asked some friends. We got together. I think there were about eight of us that first day. Just said, y'all, what does this look like? Can we do this? We came up with a mission statement, and it is um, to bring joy to our community through the repurposing of flowers. Period. That's it. So Hope Blooms was formed out of that. So uh, I try actually... So a friend um, I needed to take a meal to. So when I took a meal, I took flowers to that friend as well. And she's, oh, that's that's so great. And I thought, yeah, I think the, I think we need to be doing this for people. You know, we can uh, repurpose the flowers, put them in vases, and then we can take them to whomever we choose to do. So that's how Hope Blooms was formed. And today, it's been two years, two years old. We've given over. 4,000 plus individual arrangements. I wish I'd brought, I didn't think to bring my statistics sheet to tell you how many different uh, venues we've used, wedding planners, how many different brides, how many different weddings. Um, I had that total earlier, but it, it's changed. So now if a bride wants to donate, and usually it's brides, the weddings are the biggest thing, but we've also done memorials and funerals um, or parties. We've got a party coming up soon that someone wants to donate their flowers. They'll email, call, and say, I have flowers I'd like to donate to Hope Blooms. So we have a team that, and you can volunteer for that team, that goes and picks them up at the end of the wedding. And then um, we have a space now that we rent. And actually, an anonymous foundation, we don't know who it is, so if it's you, thank you, has um, rented space for us for a year. So we have warehouse space where we repurpose. So then we get together on Monday, we take all the flowers apart, and we use jars. So somebody suggested that at the first meeting, that why don't we try jars? And we are re so we're repurposing jars. You know, mason jar type, but like pickle jars. 
So I see several of you all out here who I have found boxes from you of jars. Pickle jars, spaghetti jars, smaller mouth jars because they require less flowers. And if they're all about the same size, then like we've taken 150, close to 200 once, I think. And so if we're taking that many, if they're the same size, that helps. So out of a journey that I didn't want to start of a move, God moved us. Um, then we went through stuff, um, but this has blossomed out of that. And so I hope that it's just given you a little bit of encouragement and how hope, oh, it sounds cheesy, but how hope can bloom out of tough situations if we just um, look for it, let the Lord, allow the Lord to work through us because we've all got a story and we're all going through stuff or you're going to go through stuff. You know, if we just hold it like this and, and let the Lord take that stuff and use it for his glory, who knows how he's going to use you and know your life may not turn out how you think it will, but it'll be better. As a fellow Enneagram 7, I especially <laughs> loved Leslie and her daughter, but just her spunkiness. And, and as I mentioned, I think, in the in the intro, I mean, she truly sounds like a bright, sunny day. Mm-hmm. And that's just evidence of the Lord in her life and everything mm-hmm. that the Lord has done in her and through her. And one of my favorite things is that she started out by telling us that her and her husband take an annual marriage retreat, which I remember my dad saying, a honeymoon a year, a date a week. Oh, yes. Yeah. Honeymoon a year, day to week. Oh, and you know, that's just a good prescription for marriage. And so that, that was one of my takeaways. Well, I mean, I'll tell you what, that's one of the first things that I wrote down because it's just, it's just living on purpose, Mm -hmm. I guess, especially in your marriage and not just taking things for granted. Gosh, there are so many things that I loved about her story. I mean, honestly, Lindy, when I listened to it, I thought Lindy's going to love this because not only was she an Enneagram seven, but she had also walked through the, through breast cancer as well. Um, The vision that God gave her with the flower ministry Uh, just really spoke to me that she actually leaned into that because how often when we walk through tough situations, And yeah, we think, oh, I want to do something, but we never follow through and how she took the initiative to take those steps of faith, follow through and actually do something with it. It was brilliant. I mean, how many flowers get thrown away and how brilliant of her to come up with this idea. And one of the things that I really gained from her story was how God built her faith muscle through her husband, yeah. through encouraging him through his difficult season so that she had all of that stored up in her mm-hmm. so that it came out naturally when she was walking through her own difficulties. Mm-hmm. And it was stored up in her husband to reciprocate. I mean, it was such a sweet picture of what marriage looks like. Mm-hmm. And y'all, we actually have so much more to say on this story. <laughs> so we are going to continue the conversation and talk about how God has strengthened our own faith muscles through difficult circumstances that we've walked through, other parts of her story that really spoke to us. And because it's us, probably a few funny stories in there as well, <laughs> I would guess. So for those of you that are on Patreon, hop on over. If y'all have difficulties listening to the stories or finding our Patreon content, There are multiple ways to find that. One, you should get an email every time we post something where you can link right through. But also, if you just want the Patreon episodes to come in your to your podcast feed, it's personally how I listen. In the highlights, there's a video that shows you exactly how to do this and put it on your phone so that it just automatically comes in your podcast feed and you know right where to listen. And if you're not a member, 
We would love for you to join us today. And all of the information is right below in the show notes and on our website. And we are going to take this conversation on over to Patreon. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.